I have to say, one of the missions of Genesis Costa Mesa is to um, kind of take the, uh, like, Orange County passive worship culture, where you just sit at church with a coffee in your hand and chill. Um, But I would just say, don't knock it till you've tried it, because... Tonight is the first night we've had coffee, and I super dig it. So maybe we just need to rethink how we do that. Anyhow, that's nonetheless. Thanks. I needed to get my stuff set up, so, you know. Thank you. Um, I am Tyler. I'm one of the elders, along with Dana and Stu and my wife Haley, and Chris and Meryl. Meryl's here, but Chris is in the U.K., ministering to some churches over there. As you might know, uh, as Genesis, we are a part of a greater family called the Genesis Collective. It's a global church planting community, or really family, where we're just committed to helping one another plant churches globally. And so about once a month or so, Chris and usually Merrill are uh, translocal, helping equip other communities in their planting journeys. And so Even though we often stay back, uh, we really do just as a community want to support them and pray for them and just pray for what God's doing around the world. So sayonara, Chris. We'll take over for the next two weeks. And the last four weeks, we've been in a series through Acts. We've called it Origins. And we call it Origins because Acts is essentially the story of the origin of the Christian church, how this all began, how you and I are here so far. And... uh, Through this series, we've kind of used a few different modes to teach so far. A few sermons, uh, Chris and Merrill did a co-teaching where they kind of took some different angles together. And then last week, we did an interview with Rob Hutton from Well of Life in Dubai, just an amazing man who has such a heart for the nations. And so we've kind of gone through it in a few different modes. And the reality is, when you do that, um, it's, it's really good, and I've loved it so far, but you can only, you only have so many hours in a day, right? And so we haven't been able to capture the entirety of the narrative of Acts so far. And so what I want to do is just take a few minutes up front, about 10 to 15 minutes, just to tell the story of Acts so far that leads us right to where we are in Acts 2. And we'll be in Acts 2, 14 to 41, if you want to open your Bibles there. Um, this is actually tonight, it's the first sermon of the Christian church. That's, that's what we're studying and listening to tonight. And uh, so my hope is, one, I'm going to just spend some time taking you on the journey of where we've been so far. I'm going to spend some time in that sermon and just speak it to us. And then I just want to invite you into exactly what Peter uh, invites all his listeners into. And so in any guinea, like typical sermon you take a much smaller chunk of scripture than we have tonight. This is a pretty dang big chunk of scripture. Do you have the slides, AJ? Okay, sweet. So there's gonna be slides so you can read along with us. Usually I take stories and metaphors and writings from other faithful followers of Jesus in a way to kind of design something that would sit on your heart more than just me speaking facts to you. Tonight is such a large portion that if I were to wax lyrical all night, I think we'd probably be here all night. (laughs) And so I won't do that. Um, But what I am going to do is I'm just going to spend the majority of the time telling you the story. I'm going to read the sermon that, that Peter preaches over them because I just believe that whatever I have to say or not, these words that, that Peter spoke 
cut to the heart so deeply of their listeners that they just wanted to totally change their life and give it to Jesus. And so I've never preached a sermon where like everyone wanted to do that, uh, but Peter did and all 3,000 wanted to. And so I'm just gonna copy him tonight. And uh, I don't know if you have to like, what's, is that plagiarism? I don't know, yeah. It's fine, no copyright laws back then, so I doubt it. But my heart is, and my hope, and my prayer all week has been that some of you would hear this sermon tonight and like the initial follower, you know, people who heard this sermon would just be amazed by God. Like, wow, he is so amazing. And that it would cut your heart and that you would just want to turn around and turn back to him. So I'm gonna take a bit of a different approach. Is that all right? Okay, thank you, thank you. Um, let's just pray and invite the Holy Spirit. Lord, just like your early believers who were filled with your spirit to be your partners, we are no less needy of your Holy Spirit. And tonight we just ask, Spirit, that you would come and just point us to Jesus. Whatever we love about Jesus, would you magnify that? Those things that are hard to get on board with or irritate us or we just haven't seen clearly, would you bring clarity and truth to them? Because we believe Jesus is good news for everybody. So Lord, help us see and know and be amazed by that good news tonight. And we are here with our hearts open saying, cut us to the heart. Speak to us in fresh and new ways. We all want it, Lord. Amen. All right, so where have we been in Acts so far? You can go to the first slide. Uh, Dr. Luke is continuing uh, a writing or an account of the continuing ministry of Jesus to a man named Theophilus. Now, we don't know exactly who Theophilus is. Uh, There's a lot of guesses out there, but we do know who Luke is. This is the same Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And so, He begins um, Acts with a bit of a nuance here. And I want to just read these opening lines right here in Acts 1. He says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus, and here's the nuance, all that Jesus began to do and to teach until he was taken up into heaven. And so in other words, we know that the gospel of Luke was uh, all, it was all about what Jesus began to do, what he did and what he taught. It was about his very real death, that he was killed and crucified on a cross and that he's alive again. Like the man died and he's alive again in Acts. And, and Luke says, that's just the beginning. There's so much more to the story. And so this next book of Acts, it, You might have to hit the X sign. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) This next book, Acts, is about what Jesus continues to do. But there's one problem here. There ain't no more Jesus. He's gone. He's ascended to heaven. He was taken up. And so Luke tells the story of Acts, just continuing this mysterious story, and frames Acts as a testimony by explaining how Jesus continued his ministry but he's not even here. That's what the story of Acts is about. And so he says this, and this is in verse three of uh, chapter one. He says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them, to his followers, and he gave them many convincing proofs he was alive. 
And over a period of 40 days, he taught them about the kingdom of God. Would anyone else love a kingdom of God masterclass from the risen king? For 40 days, that would be, thank you, one person. I think a lot of people are going to get saved tonight. Um, (laughs) 40 days, he taught them about the kingdom. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Now catch the picture, all right? And in in, uh, antiquity times, they didn't have a ton of chairs. So you'd actually sit at this really low table and you'd all lounge together. And they're all lounging there eating. Some people are probably making food, getting dishes and all this. And Jesus says to them, he says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about before, he says. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, something catches them a bit deeper here because they had heard Jesus preach about the Holy Spirit. And in all the gospels, Jesus preaches on the coming of the Holy Spirit. But verse six says, then they gathered around him. They were all together. They were chilling. They were, but, but he says something and they press in a bit deeper. They put down their dishes. They put down the food and they come a little bit deeper with, with intrigue. And Genesis, this is like The peace, I just, I want you to listen closely and hold on to because what happens next is the framework for the rest of Acts, what is about to happen. So he tells them the spirit is coming and then they say, does this mean what we think it means? Jesus, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? This is verse, sorry, I have it all in my six. Verse six, duh. Are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Is this happening in our time? Will God once again dwell amongst his people? And will they receive the blessing and the life of God? And then will they take that blessing and life and go be a blessing and be life and give that to the entire world? Will that happen again in all time? Because this moment, the restoring of the kingdom was the pinnacle, the greatest climactic moment of history that all Israelites had looked forward to for thousands of years. The moment of God restoring the kingdom and bringing blessing and life to the whole world by his presence dwelling amongst them was the pinnacle of all things hoped for and promised in all of history to the Jewish community. There was no greater promise than the restoring of the kingdom. And so they ask, is this happening now in our time? And Jesus says, are you guys following? This is just the story of Acts so far. We're going to be in it for about 10 more minutes. He says, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father set by his own authority. And I used to think that was just Jesus being like, come on guys, you idiots. Still, you're asking the same question for real? But a number of theologians have pointed out to me, um, that's more than likely not actually what's happening here. But in fact, Jesus is saying something more along the lines of, hey, now you're catching on to what's happening Now you're seeing what I'm actually up to here. But here's the deal. My father's made plans for that. He he knows how it's gonna happen, when it's gonna happen, what's gonna happen. You don't worry about that. You just worry about this. In a few days, you're gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you do, 
I'm sending you to go be my witnesses and take this good news of the kingdom throughout the earth to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so the disciples, they just take him at his word uh, of whether they were confused or not. I don't really know, (laughs) but they appoint a new apostle to take Judas's place and they're constantly gathering together to pray. When one day on Pentecost, that's the next slide, one day on Pentecost. Now, I used to think Pentecost was like this Christian thing. I don't know, Pentecostals, woohoo, crazy tongues. Um, Pentecost is actually a Jewish holiday that was celebrated where all of the Jews from all over the known world, or, or, you know, Jews from all over the known world, would come into Jerusalem to celebrate the harvest that God had given them that year. It was called Shavuot in uh, Hebrew. But Pentecost was, and this is what I want you to catch, all of the Jews, Jews from all over the world is what I should say, would come together to Jerusalem in one city. And while they're there and the believers are praying, a violent wind starts to blow inside. Like hurricane type of winds start to blow inside and fire starts to fall on people. Please catch how gnarly this is. This is not like, oh, like this is hurricanes happening inside, fires falling from the ceiling. I would hope one of you love me enough to push me out of the way. You, you take it on the chin. It's absolutely a wild moment that we're looking at here. But to the Jewish reader, it's actually pretty clear what's happening here. And remember, They're writing to the Jews. They're speaking to the Jews. They're in Jerusalem. The idea of fire descending on a place is a direct connection to God's presence throughout the entire Old Testament when fire descends on a place. So catch what's happening. Just like the bush that was on fire that God spoke to Moses through. Just as God led the Israelites through the desert into the promised land as a pillar of fire. And just as fire came from heaven and lit the altars in the tabernacle and in the temple, fire meant God's presence was filling a place. And once again, fire is falling in this moment, but this time it doesn't fill a place. It falls on and it fills people. And we see now that the throne of God's restored kingdom, the place where his presence dwells, is not in some fancy room hidden back in the back in the back of the temple where only the spiritually elite can get on. God's presence, his throne is ordinary people. You and me kind of people, that's where God dwells in his new kingdom. Luke describes this moment as the filling of the Holy Spirit. It was the great gift that Jesus promised his followers earlier. And do you remember what Jesus said? What would happen after they were filled with the Holy Spirit? They'd go be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and all throughout the world. So so what's happening here could not be a more climactic scene in the plot of a movie. Jesus has given them the mission to go tell the good news of the restored kingdom to the whole world. And the whole world is represented right here in one city in Jerusalem, and it's go time. Go tell them. It's amazing. And so the Holy Spirit literally gives the believers tongues 
And that word tongues, the literal translation is languages. He gives them languages from every nation. And at the beginning of Acts 2, uh, in between, I kind of cut and pasted some verses here. Uh, Luke just goes like line by line of, of regions from every part of the world and every language that was being spoken. But the Holy Spirit gives uneducated Galileans the supernatural ability to speak and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the whole world at one time in one place. How amazing is that? That's really, like, if this actually happened, that is amazing that the Holy Spirit shows up bringing order. Not chaos, like maybe a lot of the subcultures of the Holy Spirit you or I have experienced or been exposed to or know of. He brings divine order to speak clearly and effectively. This moment right here that we see is the reversal of Babel in Genesis. When everyone speaks different languages and can't understand each other and they go away. Now everyone is speaking different languages so that they can understand once again what's happening. It's amazing. And then the final scene that leads us to where we are today. Some people heard the believers speaking in other languages and they're like, they're just drunk. They're crazy. They're absolutely crazy. These people are out of their minds. They've just been drinking too much wine. That's kind of the cliffhanger that we get left on before we get in today. So before we do get in today, I wanna offer you just a moment of reflection and meditation on the story of Acts so far. Did that add up? Was that clear and succinct enough to kind of understand how we got to where we're going? Okay, Dana and Stu understood. That's really good. <clears throat> I'm struck by the intentionality of God throughout Acts so far, throughout the Gospels and Acts. Jesus was crucified on the Passover, a very clear intentional uh, allusion to the Passover lamb who was sacrificed in Egypt so that God's people could go free, could be set free. That's what's happening on the cross. People are being set free again. Jesus's instructions of what happens when the kingdom of God is restored and the spirit fills people is that they'll go and be his witnesses throughout the entire earth. And so the restoration of the kingdom of God begins during Pentecost, a, a, a festival, when the entire world is right here in one place. It's so intentional that God sparks a moment. The believers are empowered by the Holy Spirit that lead his people on a mission. Go and be my disciples and take this message, be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And it creates a worldwide movement that the witnesses, the, the word are all multiplied, all things becoming restored again. And so I just want to say to everyone in this room, before we get into this, you know, to the sermon that Peter spoke, that God did not call you or he is not calling you just to sit on the sidelines, to be relaxed about your faith. There's, there's like not time for that. He didn't call you to himself just to believe the right things. He didn't call you to himself just to make sure you get a passing score on the rule sheet, maybe a seven or eight out of 10 would suffice. That is not the Christian life, guys. It's not. You are called, the Christian life is to be an ambassador of King Jesus 
and his kingdom by the power of the Holy Spirit. We all need the Holy Spirit. And that's the key point of Acts up until this point, that you need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to be faithful to the mission that God's called each one of us on. If what we're doing is just all possible in our own strength, then we and everybody are missing out on the fullness of the kingdom of God. And so you need the Holy Spirit. He uses, he uses languages at this moment, but all throughout Acts, we see all kinds of beautiful ways the Holy Spirit comes through healings and miracles, the ability to stand up and preach sermons, the jail gates unlocking and prisoners going free, like all the ways, it's amazing. I don't know exactly how God is gonna use you, but he wants you to be filled and empowered by his Holy Spirit, okay? So that's the book of Acts and a moment of reflection so far. And so, Peter, this is really small text. Sorry about that. I don't know how to use Keynote. AJ asked me to use Keynote, and that's the best I could do. Um, Peter stands up. The man who denied Jesus multiple times in front of a crowd of few stands up in front of a crowd of at least 3,000 who had rejected Jesus and proclaims the first sermon of the church. Friends, this sermon that, that he preached that I'm just gonna read over you is like much the catalyst of why you and I are gathering here today in this church. And so what he does is he basically just copy and paste the Hebrew prophets, all the Old Testament prophets, about the promise of a coming king who would restore the kingdom of God to the whole earth. And he says that that thing which we've all been waiting for, all been praying for, celebrating festivals for thousands of years, that is happening right before your eyes. And your witnesses of the very event you've been praying for for thousands of years, this is the main event. And so here we go. We're just going to read it. You guys got your glasses on and ready to read? Oh, you made it bigger. What's up, dude? Thank you. All right, here we go. Just take a moment. Just take a breath. Ask God just to speak through this sermon to you. Ask him that these words that have endured for thousands of years, that they would even fall fresh on your heart tonight. Then Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk. As you suppose, hey, it's only nine in the morning. I've never seen anyone drunk at nine in the morning. I didn't think, I think he could have said a lot of other things. <laughs> he never went to any of my high school parties. <laughs> no, this, what's happening here is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. The last days is not like the creepy, weird, I, mean, I don't know, maybe some creepy, weird stuff happens in the last days, but it's not maybe what some of the Left Behind movies kind of make much of. The last days is the age of the spirit when the spirit comes and empowers his people. So we are living in the last days. The spirit is here to empower us. 
I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. This is what's happening in front of the Israelites right now. I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fires and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. There's a lot of really beautiful Hebrew poetry in there. It's not scary stuff. It's beautiful and powerful stuff. But here's the truth that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on a cross. But, but God raised him from dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. One theologian talked about like, it's like an overdue mother. That baby is coming out. There's no way you're stopping it. And Genesis, I just want to ask you, if this is true, if this happened, if God raised Jesus from, the, from dead, if he was a man handed over, having seen miracles and wonders and signs, and yet we still rejected him, but God freed him from death. If this is true, is there any way that you couldn't give your whole life to him? I mean, this is insane unless it's true. Is there any way that you couldn't? And so he goes on and he says, David said about him, and he's uh, speaking of Psalm 16 right here. And he makes the point that David was prophesying that what we're about to read in Psalm 16, David wasn't saying of himself. He was actually saying, no, this is what the king of the, of, of, of the earth has to say. He says, I saw the Lord always before me because he is my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also rests in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, says your king. You will not let your holy one see decay. You have made known to me the path of lives and you will fill me with joy in your presence. So what's Peter getting at here? Why does he include this? He says it was always God's plan for this to happen. The prophets, including David, King David, spoke of a coming Messiah, a king who would suffer to death and would be beaten and broken and killed. But death could not keep its hold on him because he so loved the world. He so loved the world that he would be killed to forgive every sin in the world. But he doesn't let them off here. I believe he's speaking to them in love, but he doesn't let them off. He says, but you killed him. Like it was God's plan, but you nailed him to the cross. And I think what's significant about that is though this was God's plan all along, the way Jesus died, at least in my mind, 
is like the greatest tragedy I could ever imagine, that our own God would be amongst us and we kill him. I mean, this was God's plan, but even when our God was with us, we couldn't take it. You know what's wild? Is 400 years prior to Jesus's crucifixion, the philosopher Plato, philosopher Plato, had some words to say about what would happen if a perfectly just and righteous man was amongst us. This is what he says. What they will say is this. You with me? Okay. 400 years before the life of Jesus. What they will say is this, that such being his disposition, perfectly just and righteous, that is, the just man will have to endure the lash, the rack, chains, the branding iron in his eyes. And finally, after every extremity of suffering, he will be crucified. And so he will learn his lesson that not to be just, but to seem just is what we really ought to desire. He's saying, hey, if you really want to be the just person, the righteous person, this is what's going to happen to you. So according to Plato, a truly righteous or just person can only be found righteous, can only be found just after they've been stripped of all made to suffer, and then crucified. He says, therefore, most people should only desire to appear righteous than actually be righteous. And that's probably more my lane right there. I probably would want to be, to seem righteous. Because Plato said it 2,400 years ago that even today, it still rings true. You and I could not handle a perfectly just person in our presence. We still couldn't. We would want them dead. And like the crowd that Peter's preaching to, like not everyone had a physical hand in Jesus's crucifixion, right? Not all of them had a hand to play in his physical betrayal. But Peter still says, you killed him. It, it's on your hands. And we as humans... We have a systemic aversion to perfect justice. We love justice, right? We want wrongs to be called out. We just don't want to be called out. Like everyone else's, but let me do my thing, right? I don't want the wrong in me to be called out. We believe love is the solution to all wrongs, but we struggle to even love the people who love us. And even those of us who call ourselves Christians and walk with Jesus, when you take an honest assessment of your life, there are ways, there are for sure ways in your life that you delight in the aroma of Jesus, the kingdom of God, all that he's asked you, or the, you know, certain things he's asked you to do. But there are also ways in your life that you and I have just kind of decided those ways aren't as important for me those things that Jesus are calling me to just aren't quite as important. And so I can't help but admit I would probably be in that crowd that Peter was speaking to because I would have my ideas of justice. I would have my understanding of right and wrong, my expectations for the Messiah, and Jesus would have radically offended them 
How do I know that? Because I still reject him multiple times a day. When I take an honest audit of my life, I still reject my king multiple times a day. I want justice, but when perfect justice is in front of me, I often reject it. And so, verse 29, I've got about five minutes left, okay? He says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear, hearing the gospel message in all their languages. For David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And friends, I think Peter's speaking to his fellow Israelites here and he's saying, hey, open your eyes. Open your eyes, the great promise and solution to all wrongs, the restoration to all things is right here amongst us. And I used to read this sermon thinking Peter was just giving them a tongue lashing. And I think he is definitely holding them accountable to some things, obviously, for sure. But I do believe that, G- that Peter is speaking this with purpose and passion, but primarily with love and compassion, the same kind of love and compassion that God has for these people because these were his fellow Jews and he gets to proclaim the fulfillment of all the things they've been waiting for. And so Genesis, I just wanna ask you, what have you long been expecting the restoration of? What is so clearly broken in this world that needs fixing? What lies do you and others live under that need truth? What have you tried to fix in your life over and over and over again, but you keep failing and you keep failing and you keep failing? Friends, I wanna stand up amongst us and I wanna say that the answer is Jesus. To all those, the answer is Jesus. And so Peter wraps up this first sermon and he says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. I want to remind you that Peter's preaching to people who knew God. Like for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, they had cultivated practices to draw them into intimate relationship with God. This often sounds to me kind of like speaking to a lot of Christians who have just been in church for a long time. He's kind of speaking to a similar crowd as us, I do believe. Maybe even a little more passionate than us sometimes. And he says, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Jesus is the answer. That's what Peter's saying. The Lord and Messiah, the great promise of everything you've ever looked for. It was Jesus 
all along. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you. What should we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all those who are far off, for all whom the Lord will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them saying, save yourself from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That day, over the next week, at least 100,000 were added to their number. And so Jesus, Jesus, Genesis, I want to offer to anyone who's willing to receive this message today, anyone, that you would repent and be baptized. In fact, I want to go straight from here to Newport Beach. Actually, we're going to meet at North Star Beach at 615. And anybody who will receive this message, I brought like 10 towels with me and I got more at home. And I'll give you the shirt off my back if you need to get dry or you can run home really quick. To anybody who would hear this message today, I want to invite you with me to North Star Beach and get baptized in the name of Jesus today. He says, repent and be baptized. Repent literally means turn around. The truth is, is that Jesus has never left you. He's always loved you. He's never, he's never not chosen you, but you have turned the other way. You've made other things, and I am guilty of the same, other things the center of your life. But Jesus tells the story of a shepherd who has 100 sheep, and one of them goes astray, and he goes looking and chasing after that sheep. Not to spank it, not to tell it how much it's screwed up, but out of love to bring it back into the life and protection of the sheepfold. He's just saying, turn around. And Jesus, Genesis, I want to say to you, turn around. See that God has always been there for you and has always loved you. He will always be with you. And I want to invite you today to become a part of that kingdom where you receive the blessing and the abundance of life of the kingdom of God from Jesus. And then you go and you be a witness of it, and you give that blessing, and you give that life to the ends of the earth. And then what's the result of turning around? Peter says, repent and be baptized. I mean, it's just the natural progression. It's like, it's almost like he's saying one thing, repent and be baptized. And it's a great picture, baptism, if you're not familiar with exactly what it is or why we practice it, we, we, uh, we take you to the ocean, and we dunk you, and then we bring you back up out of the water. That's it. And you might say, well, what's significant about that? Why that? And, and Paul states it as like a picture of you're dying with Jesus. You've died to the sin in your life. It's killed you. You're dead. And then you're cleansed. And he not only cre- like 
makes you a better person. He makes you a new person again when you rise out of that water, a fresh slate, a clean slate, a new person, a whole new person. Uh, Romans 6, yeah, he's got it up there already. Paul says, we were buried with Jesus through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. And friends, I want to encourage you that we will spend eternity in the presence of God. It will be, I mean, there's no words. It is the perfect fulfillment of all things. But today in baptism, you are put to death by sin and resurrected as a new person to go be a witness and bring his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven to earth. And you don't have to have a degree to do it. Uh, you don't even have to have come to church before to do it. Um, in fact, the rest of Acts is story of Jesus continuing his ministry through really ordinary people like you and me through all kinds of gifts. And so I just want to ask you, why not? Why not be baptized in 55 minutes at North Star Beach? Why not? You don't need to feel holy chills or the liver shivers. You don't, you don't need any of that to accept this invitation. But tonight, as you hear the story of Jesus, even if for the first time or for the millionth time, if you recognize that you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life, that you've been turned around, turning away from him, and you just want to turn back to him, free of any guilt, of anything from your past, then I want to invite you to the beach with us. One White Cliffs Drive at 615. And um, how we're going to do that, uh, at least begin this process, is at the communion table. And so I think there's some people on, obviously, serving communion, so you guys can come up. <clears throat> this table that we celebrate here, bread and wine, is like the summary of Peter's entire sermon. If you don't really remember the words of his sermon, just remember this. Jesus laid down his life as the suffering servant for all people, that your life may forgive, be completely forgiven and you may partner with him to see the beautiful kingdom of heaven reign on earth. All the things and plans and mission that God has planned on this earth, he wants you to be a part of it with him. And so we eat bread and we drink wine to remember that his presence is very literally still with us today. How did Jesus continue his ministry? He gave us the spirit. He made his dwelling place in us that we may go and be his partners. And so some of you will come to the table today with deep gratitude to say, God, you know my every day. You know exactly what it's like. Why would you want to partner with me? And he says, because I can, because I want to give you my Holy Spirit to go be my partner in this earth. But then some of you 
will come today and say, um, I have never gotten to experience that before and I want to. And for you, you may actually be a longtime believer. You may have believed in Jesus, but you recognize that there is a mission on your life and a partnership with him that you have yet to engage in. And then there's people who are hearing the name or the, the message of Jesus for the first time and say, yes, I want him to be the Lord of my life. And those are the people that I'm inviting to get baptized tonight. Both, both of those groups, the longtime Christian, you know, churchgoer and the new believer. And to those people, I'm gonna be right here at the end of the table. And I'm just gonna lead us in that first part, repent. And we're gonna take some bread and drink some wine and just remember as Peter and Paul and every writer pretty much of the entire Bible points to us, the restoration of all things, including yourself, is right here and you're witnessing it. You get to be a part of it. And so if you wanna be baptized tonight, I've got towels. Maybe you even have time to go home and get a change of clothes if you would like, or you can just bring back my towel next week. I don't care. Or you can keep it. I have five at home still. Come right here at the end of the table and just receive communion with me. And then we're going to leave from here and go get baptized, all right? Okay, so. Oh, Rob. You want to share your testimony? This was amazing. Okay, um. No, you just talk about it. Hey, guys. My name is Rob. Um, I know most of you, but if you don't, <laughs> hi, I'm Rob. Um, so I've been at Genesis for like a year and a half. Um, I've followed Christ since I was like seven in the back left seat of my mom's Suburban. <laughs> Oddly specific. Um, but I had never gotten the chance to be baptized. Um, I have grown up in a community of faith, but never witnessed one like this. Um, I'm for sure going to cry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is what it is. It is what it is. Um, so um, I was baptized a few months ago, actually a month ago by Stuart. Um, I was sitting in this, in our leadership meeting, and I had heard Chris deliver a message about, about leadership and, and smelling like Jesus, the perfume of Jesus, that you have spent time with Jesus. When you leave somewhere and you smell like that place, that he wanted leaders that smelled like Jesus because he had spent time with they had embraced Jesus. They had loved Jesus. And I've followed Jesus my whole life. But in that moment, I went, I, I want that. Like there's nothing more than my heart desires than to, to be so close to Jesus that when I leave a place, people go, oh, I love Jesus and I'm more excited about Jesus than when I was when I walked in there and when I talked to Rob. And that wasn't who I was. And it still might not be who I am. I don't know. It's a process, right? Hey, here we are. Um, I have my my journal here. This was my <laughs> journal entry. Uh, Jesus, I'm here to contend for you, for your presence, blessing, and mission. I want to know where I can grow deeper, how I can grow more like you. Lord, take this outward statement of faith and give me mission and responsibility. Surround me with people who will guide me and teach me. Continue to release me from my old life and bring me into my new. I love you, Lord. Please guide me and give me wisdom. And I think that's what we're being invited into. And, it, and in this community, look around you. Look at Stuart. Stuart's been one of my closest people in this last few months, in this last few years, that has taken me into this spot. He's about to cry. Look at him. <laughs> um, and I, I want to urge you to be here, to, to, to stand in this gap to save your friends. 
Will you do it? Because this is the way you do it. This is the way you are, you are put under the water. You are brought back out a new person, washed in the water so that you may be baptized not only in the water, but in the spirit. And it's real, guys. We're called to do it. This is what we're supposed to be doing. So I urge you to, if you're, if you're feeling called, if you hear my testimony, if you want to come talk to me about it, I'll tell you more. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but seriously, guys, this is we're called to do this as as I don't even want to use the word Christians. I want to use the word followers of Christ. This is who we are. The Lord is in my heart, in my life, and I would hate to see any of you walk through the next 80 years without that. So take this opportunity if it feels right, but yeah, thank you.